Hey there! Thanks for tuning in. This is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our partner to love something we do, whether it be a movie, TV show, or anything in between. We're your hosts, Masha. And Andy. And this week, we're talking about Bulletproof Monk. All right, so jumping into a quick summary in case you are not aware of Bulletproof Monk, a masterpiece, uh, according to me, of course, because obviously I love it. Bulletproof Monk was released in 2003. It's an action-packed film that was directed by Paul Hunter, which, fun fact, was his feature film directorial debut. The film follows a Tibetan monk, played by Chow Yun-Fat, who's chosen to protect a scroll that contains knowledge that will make anyone who reads it powerful, young, and obviously bulletproof. So, you know, it basically makes you Superman, I guess. Uh, Is he immune to injury? He says he heals fast, but it also looks like he can't die. Okay. I couldn't, it wasn't clear, but he, yeah, he was, he was surviving <laughs> loads of stuff. Okay. Whatever, whatever they threw at him, cool. I wasn't too worried it, about the old monk. It basically makes you a superhero. Yeah. Uh, yeah, invincible. So. Kind of turns you into Neo from the Matrix. Oh. Okay. Yeah, we haven't watched, or I haven't watched The Matrix in a long time. But anyway, in this movie, you know, a crazy German Nazi who knows all about the scroll dedicates his life to tracking down this monk and the scroll so he can obtain its power. So that's really just a quick summary about Bulletproof Monk. Um, But before we dive into our conversation about it, a few things. I'm going to talk about my personal history with the film. While at the same time, dropping some Andy facts. Uh, I learned. So for those of you, and by those I mean all, (laughs) I call any research uh, done about a movie an Andy fact because Andy (laughs) Andy notoriously looks up facts after watching every single piece of media. Uh, That's hilarious. (laughs) So I just refer to it as Andy facts. Yeah, I've gotten so used to you calling them Andy facts that that's become a normal term in my brain. But (laughs) yeah, I have to realize that anybody at home has no idea what the hell you're talking about. (laughs) I have it in my notes to provide background on Andy facts. (laughs) Because... Without it, I would just skip over. <laughs> nice. So anyway, Bulletproof Monk is one of my favorite movies, and I do I can't tell you why. I just, <laughs> I know that it's not a masterpiece. It's not an Academy Award winning film by any means. I just love this movie. And I think a lot of that has to do with how much my mom and I watched it together and how much we quote it. So I think just the memory of that makes it like very it's a nice it's a nice movie for me it makes me feel good so i have to ask because i know kind of the kind of movies you and your mom like to watch and i don't know bulletproof monk i might not have guessed that out of a list like Mm. you know before you told me so why that movie out of all because i feel like you guys didn't watch too many like violent action movies not that it's overly violent but like Well, I will say haitians love kung fu movies so Uh, i think my mom already loved chow yun fat um, from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Yeah, so I didn't, yeah. Yeah, so that really helped. Also, I don't know if it was the promos or what, but there's a lot of talk about, like, um, your spirituality in this film that and enlightenment, and that really... My mom loves that kind of crap. So... Dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, she she loves, like she loves she anything. She download podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I do too. Like, I don't know why I called it crap, but... Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, talk about knowing yourself and self-discovery, enlightenment. So I think that really helped too. 
Um, so I actually do love the spirituality in it as well. An enlightened man would offer a humble traveler shelter for the night and share a quiet conversation over the boat of Cocoa Puffs. I can't remember the last time I watched it all the way through. Like I would normally skip to my favorite parts. <laughs> yeah, and I imagine you skip over any parts involving sorrow and, and loss. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, we can get to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but speaking of that, I do love, what one thing I love about this film is basically whoever guards the scroll or protects the scroll has no life. Like you give up your name automatically uh, when you're in charge of taking control of the, the scroll. But what I love about it is they don't have to sacrifice anything. Like they already know that they're training to pr potentially protect the scroll. Like it's not like he had this family, blah, blah, blah. And like, oh, yeah, you have to control. Like overnight it got taken away from him or anything like that. Exactly. So I, I kind of just loved from the beginning, like nothing had to be sacrificed in order to protect the scroll. Yeah. Like even though he's not a Buddhist monk, like it almost seems like it's like a Buddhist monk lifestyle taken to the extreme mm -hmm. where, you know, you sacrifice a lot of your own personal possessions and belongings to kind of, you know, for a, a bigger mission. Yeah. And it's group. that, but like turn in, into an action movie where it's about protecting something and beating up baddies. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I really love that. I really related to Carr, uh, and that's the name of the character that's played by Sean. William Scott. Oh my god. Yes, I got his first name. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I need a little tab here. He's I'm terrible. Incredibly names. famous. We'll go on. <laughs> um, I really related to him because Carr's character lives in a movie theater um, that plays kung fu movies and he learns a lot about martial arts by watching these movies over and over again and i think i related to that because i would watch dance movies over and over again and learn the <laughs> choreography so i really related to his character <laughs> so i love that and then the last thing I'll, I'll say that i loved about it is all the action scenes i loved that they were musically driven all the time and i know that's something that all action movies do but this one in particular seemed to even before the edit tried to make the fight choreography correspond with music somehow. yeah like it wasn't chosen after the fact because they just kind of fit yeah. yeah yeah um so that's the last thing i love about it but that last fact is actually really interesting because it turns out that the director is a music video director oh so he's like famous in the music video world um paul hunter uh, he he's also known in the commercial world. He's the one that directed that Nike's freestyle commercial uh, that won an Emmy, the one that you overheard me playing. <laughs> the one uh, with the basketball players and like the beat kind of made out of the squeaking of the sneakers. Yes, I remember that. They um, <laughs> they parody that in Scary Movie too. Oh, they do. Which is not a good movie, but I just remember that scene because I, I used to watch that shit all the time. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, not a good movie, but yeah, great parody of that commercial. Ah, uh, well. But that shows you how much they were parodying scary movies by the second one they were already into parodying Nike commercials because they ran out of good material. Damn. Well. Um, <laughs> Side note, never mind. <laughs> no, it's Back fine. on track. Paul Hunter, he's worked with people from like Justin Timberlake to Snoop Dogg to Will Smith. Like he did Drop It Like It's Hot. Ah, okay. Uh, he did Christina Aguilera's All right, Come a lot on of this Over. is making a lot of sense now. 
it kind of fit a puzzle piece into, into oh, really? the, my movie style. Oh. But I'll get into it as we go into it, uh, as I think. But um, did he make any other feature-length movies? Not that I could find. Damn, so this is the one and done. This might have been one and done. Interesting. But he is still making music videos. Like, he did uh, Justin Timberlake's most recent album, yeah. The Woods, whatever. I'm surprised. You would think maybe a music artist would have been in the movie or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this one, so he, it's co-produced by John Woo um, and that some other people. That makes perfect sense. I mean, John Woo and, and Chow Yun-Fat. Yeah. Like, got famous together, basically. Yeah. See, you already know my facts. Well, I know about <laughs> Chow Yun-Fat. He's just a legend. <laughs> I was going to, uh, I was going to see how much of that you actually knew, but it's cool. Uh, yeah. Well, Yeah. I, I learned that. I didn't know that before mm. this research. Did you know who John Woo was before this research? I did not. Not no. at all. That's interesting. Yeah. All right. I'll put a couple more movies on my What I Love list. Ooh, like uh, what? Uh, actually, in terms of showing you, I think Hardboiled would be pretty fun. A lot of his American movies are actually kind of, they're interesting. Like, mm-hmm. they're definitely John Woo movies, but I don't know if I would call them very good. Ooh. Um, oh, you know what he did um, that we watched, half-watched when we were on vacation? Uh, do you remember Face Off with John Travolta and Nicolas Cage and they traded faces? Yes, vaguely. And like, remember we were at the lake house and... Uh, yes. John Travolta was acting like... Yeah, that, yeah, that's a classic John Woo American uh-huh. movie. But he did like Mission Impossible 2 and a couple other things. Oh, cool. Um, His anyway. name sounds familiar, it's just I didn't... Yeah, he pioneered <laughs> a lot of... They called it Gun Fu because like... In a time when a lot of kung fu movies was coming out of Hong Kong, mm-hmm. he brought in a new style of action movies that was very gun focused with a lot of gunplay. So a lot mm-hmm. of the times when you see like people fighting with guns in movies, there a lot of them are not stealing, but you know taking kind of things he pioneered in his early movies in the eighties. Yeah. Uh, so kind of like any mm-hmm. image of a guy with two pistols, kind of shooting and jumping, that's him. So that I mean, everyone who has seen a trailer for Bulletproof Monk, even on the cover, you see. Um, him with two guns in his hand, like that's, that's a classic John Woo. John Woo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, that's cool. Um, like him specifically, even playing a character that does stuff like that. Wow. And if you ever see white doves flying in slow motion during an action fight, that's, that's John Woo. 100%. Oh, there were no white doves in this. There's no white doves in this, but I'm just saying you see it in other stuff sometimes, and you're like, he loved to just out of nowhere just slow motion white doves <laughs> flying through the air while the bullets are flying. Whoa. I'll, I'll YouTube you some John Woo after this. It'll that's be great. cool. Uh, Bulletproof Monk was actually loosely based on a comic book. Ah, see that I didn't know. <laughs> um, so originally, and you know, I don't really read comic books, but I kind of want to read this one. That's funny. It's a little, so it's a three-part story that chronicles Carr's search for a Tibetan legend that is a Bulletproof Monk. Okay. So... It's a little different. Yeah. So he, Carr's in America in this story, from what I read. He's American, but he is actually like this he's not white he's not yeah. a white guy <laughs> um and so there's a legend of a bulletproof monk who saved a tibetan village from nazi scientists and then he disappears so car is basically on a mission to discover what happened to the bulletproof monk and he like comes comes across like all these villains along the way or whatever okay but same basic like mythology with the scroll and the monks like exactly kinda stays young as he has it and things like that yeah, i didn't see, get that deep into it but i imagine it's, so. yeah if he's looking for nazis later do you know when it came out um i think it was 93 i didn't oh, write really? that down but like it was older yeah about like 10 years yeah. But that's hilarious because classic Hollywood, you know, you got to put a white guy in the main role. Exactly. And then they fucking just wrote it off with that one line where he was like, <laughs> ah, I took an Asian name because 
It means family, and I don't have any family. <laughs> yep. Well, anyway. it was like classic, like Karate Kid is is rife with these, but classic, like white dude is way too into Asian stuff, but like <laughs> doesn't really know why or explain. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And even like the girl Jade, she yeah. like no, she's fluent in Taiwan. Uh, no. I'll, I'll get into the gang. <laughs> uh, uh, let's when we get into when we start talking about the plot. Um. But anyway, this movie, I know you're interested in this kind of stuff, so yeah. I wrote it down. Thanks. The budget was fifty two mil. Oh, look at you! And it made thirty seven worldwide. So. Wow. Mm, <laughs> but you know the the amount of times my mom and I have watched this movie. Hey, twelve of that was mine. I, don't, I know I'm gonna get to it when it's my turn, but uh, I saw it in theaters. Cool. I just have, I I think I overcompensated because I was like I I never look up facts. So I was yep. like all the facts. <laughs> hey, the more the merrier. I love it. <laughs> so Chow, um, I hope that's so I hope it's okay that I call him oh, Chow. So um, did you know that he was previously known as Donald Chow? I did not know that. Weird, right? Yeah. Anyway, side fact. Um, so, I heard he's not even like a martial artist. Like he's just a straight up actor who just happened to like get cast in some martial. Like, <sighs> like Crouch and Tiger made him. Yeah. Uh, like known for martial arts, even though he's not. That's so nice. Um, Sean. Sean's character Carr was almost played by Heath Ledger. Whoa! <laughs> but a- according to IMDb, he turned down the role for Ned Kelly. What's Ned Kelly? I don't know. It's this movie with him and Orlando Bloom. I didn't... Ooh, sounds like a snooze. He should have. He should have chosen Bulletproof Monk. Uh... <laughs> Heath Ledger. He... I mean, he's great, but I don't know. If... He was still rom-com Heath Ledger in 2003. He wasn't... Like, that was pre-Brokeback Mountain. That was pre-Darkness. Yeah. So, like, he wasn't... I don't know if people would have took him seriously. But he's such a good actor and he's so handsome that, like, yeah, I, I feel he... like it would have brought in the money, you know? Right. That's fine. And also, for uh, Jade, the actress who plays her is Jamie. Sorry, what's her name? What's her uh, last name? Jamie King. Oh, okay. They were originally considering Jessica Alba oh, okay. and Michelle Rodriguez. Wow. Uh, was Jimmy King a name? I don't know. I don't think I know her from anything. Uh, well, I know her from White Chicks. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she's been in anything like that you would watch. I just I feel like in the, in 2003, Jessica Alba or Michelle Rodriguez would have been a bigger name. Mm. I oh, was she, actually she was surprised. In City. Oh. I haven't seen that in a while. I was surprised about Michelle Rodriguez though. Maybe if Heath Ledger was in the role, but definitely not with Sean. Like, pairing together? Yeah. Um, anyway, the last fun thing is Carol Roden. He's the uh, guy who plays the German Nazi, whose name is Strucker. They never once say that in the movie. <laughs> Wait, what's his name? Strucker? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, anyway. He's a Czech actor. Okay. Um, he's known for his roles in Hellboy, which I know you've seen. Wait, the, the first one or the most recent one? I have no... No, I think the first, the first one. one. And Born Supremacy. That's hilarious. I haven't seen Born Supremacy, but there's a million Nazis in Hellboy, so I'm sure he was just one of the Nazis. So I think... He could have been a main character. What makes you think he was a Nazi? Because he was a Nazi in this. That doesn't just oh, that doesn't just mean you're a Nazi in every movie. I, I mean, yeah, but I'm just saying, I don't remember him, and there's a lot of faceless Nazis. You don't you recognize faces. You're like the last All person. Right, he, he wasn't Hellboy, he wasn't Hellboy's fish friend, and he wasn't Hellboy's girlfriend, and he wasn't Hellboy's dad. If you're not one of those, you're the Nazi. I'm looking at who he was in Hellboy. If he's a Nazi, I swear. What's his name? <laughs> I don't know, you just told me. <laughs> Carol Roden. He played Georg- Georgory Rasputin. Pretty sure that was the bad Nazi. Yeah, yeah, total bad Nazi. Oh, God damn it. I wanted you to be wrong. 
All right. Well, I guess he likes playing Nazis. Anyway, so. Oh wait, no. I think he might have been Russian. I don't know. He was a bad guy. Yeah, he was. He's good at playing bad guys. Um, But I will just say that his character terrified me as a child. I was so scared. It was just funny, like. The older I got, the more I was like, this guy's trash. Yeah, he was pretty schlocky. <laughs> but, uh, None of his organization made any sense to me. But oh, we will get into that. For sure. Um, but there's so much I love about, you know, everything about Bulletproof Monk. And though it took me a really long time to decide on a movie for this, I'm really glad I landed on this one. So um, what were your initial thoughts, Andy? When you first told me that this was a movie you loved that you wanted to share with me? Yeah. So, I did initially, I believe I laughed, <laughs> possibly out loud. Yes, yes so, you did. So, yeah, I do remember seeing this movie back in 2003 when it came out in theaters. It was a pretty down-the-line, uh, standard, like, boy movie, if I would say. You mm. know, as a, as a 13-year-old boy who liked kung fu movies and action, it was all of that. With a little bit of, I like Sean William Scott from American Pie, you know, Chow Yun-Fat from Crouching Tiger, and plus, you know, there's a lot of high kicking and all this other stuff. So I definitely went to the theaters and saw it. I don't, I'm not even going to say I didn't like it. I just remember, like, not remembering it. Like, I just remember being like, yeah, I saw that. And then went out, my life grew older. And then always just kind of remembered a couple of parts. I think more from the trailers, like kind of him holding the cereal bowl and floating on his feet. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> a lot of crouching tiger esque maneuvers in for this sure, movie. For sure, for <laughs> sure. But I always just kind of remembered it was just like a kind of, in my memory, a forgettable action movie. You know, the early two thousands, just a bunch of them came out. Like it kind of reminded me a lot of Jackie Chan's movies at the time, mm. like Post Rush Hour with kind of like the tuxedo and the medallion. Yeah. And and then I remember also, and I'll go into this more as we go into the movie, but I remember even thinking at the time at 13 where it felt both oddly kind of like it was a kid's movie, but then it would also get real dark and serious at other times mm. and really contradict that feeling. And I would be like, I don't know if this is for me or for someone older or, or who's going what. When you told me you wanted to watch it, A, I was kind of excited because normally when we watch something you pick, it's not always, it's almost never an action movie by that means. So I was just like, oh, this will be a nice change of pace. Like, nobody's dancing. And then... Oh, uh, we're watching dancing movies now. Oh, I know. I've seen your list. Uh, I was more thinking it was going to be pretty bad than I was thinking it was going to be good. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I was definitely being pretty negative going and being like, yeah, this movie's kind of dumb, but let's watch it. I mean, yeah, those are... I, mean, I appreciate your honest thoughts. No, I'm not offended at all. No, well, I don't know why you'd be offended. You didn't make the movie. <laughs> the whole point of this podcast is to... Get me to love what you love, but we'll see. <laughs> All right, cool. So let's go ahead and dive into Bulletproof Monk. Spoiler free, of course. So when you become the protector of the scroll, once you're chosen and you're trained, the monk who protects the scroll must give up their name, like I said, their life, and they're just protecting the scroll. Each person protects the scroll for 60 years. And I know you were a little confused at the beginning, too, with, like, all the explanations and stuff. Yeah, I wrote... I didn't think the beginning exposition was handled too fantastically. They front-loaded a lot in the dialogue and in the narration. Yeah. And I, I... Which was a little bit of a bummer to me because I did feel like I liked the things they were saying. And I don't know how they would have exactly done it, but I almost just wanted to, like, see more of it. Mm. Like, when they were describing, you know, the th- all the trials he had to do, where he was, like, 
you know, you have to battle enemies under a flock of cranes and all that stuff. And, like, he just kind of, like, laid it all out in a long line of exposition. And I was like, damn, it would have been cool to see Chow Yun-Fet do that in a quick montage or something. Um, so it sounds like you just wanted this story, but Chow, Chow's version and not Sean's version. Not, not, but, like, a little bit more or just not, like... Because that's two movies. Because it was just, like, a lot where... I don't know, because they don't take any time to tell you, like, where the scroll came from. Like, what religion is that? They're just like, we have this magic scroll... And we're the protectors, but I was like, like, you know, who... That's fair. Who, what? And then also, they were just like, the person who did the scroll controls the whole world. And I was like, that's pretty vague. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what that means exactly. Mm -hmm. That's fair. But the majority of this film takes place... Well, you that that is established, and then the majority of this film takes place 60 years later. So... Chow's has Chow has been protecting the scroll for sixty years. Instead of being in Tibet now, they're they're in the U.S. And oh wait, can I bring up one more part about the Tibet in the beginning? Oh sure. <laughs> that I have a note here. So the movie opens with Chow Yun Fat and his master having like a little sp uh, spar on the yeah. bridge with with those sticks. It's a pretty sweet scene. I kind of liked it. But then after he Chow Yun Fat wins and bests his master, and his master was like, "All right, now you're ready." But then after that is when he goes into that whole list of all the things he had to do to become the bulletproof monk of like, you know, you have to, the trial under the flock of seagulls, battle in the palace of jade. Mm -hmm. So I just found it funny that like, why was this little like sparring match on the bridge his final test? <laughs> to like, like, it seemed like everything else he did was a thousand times harder than that and more dangerous and more worthy of heart. And just like, yeah, fight me on the bridge. And like, that's <laughs> true. Not to the death. Okay, I just feel like after fulfilling those prophecies, because those are what they are. They're the prophecies to whoever is the next to protect the scroll. Uh -huh. But I feel like you still need the fighting skills. Like, maybe it was just, like, one last spot. Uh, yeah, I know. It, it would have been more if he was just like, ah, I just wanted to get one last one in with you before I lost this power, instead of being like, now I think you're ready. I like, see. That like, could have you know been an I mean? easy script change. Yeah, like... You're right. Um, <laughs> so that would have been cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, know, yeah, I just basically wrote that down that's hilarious um, all right but yeah that's all i have for my while they're in tibet yeah i will say the beginning of the movie is very beautiful too like it's very it beautifully is. shot it is so i'm not mad at your suggestion that like more could have been taking taken place i, I mean a lot, even just like some kind of montage like you know mm -hmm. what i mean like it could have been like if we just saw him like doing a little bit of each of those things and we didn't really know why and then we could have had the monk being like all right, you did those. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, but then we couldn't see it again. Uh, yeah. Like, the the movie's already an hour 45, you know? Yeah. But I mean, I'll tell you right now, I got a thousand and one, like, video game vibes from this movie, mm. where it felt a lot like playing a video game without actually playing it, um, including with the beginning, feeling like that part when you first start a new game, and then you have to watch for, like, 22 minutes while they, like, set everything up and tell you a long story, so... Mm. And then the training scene where you're on the bridge fighting your master to learn the buttons before you go and fight the bad guy. That's funny. <laughs> but I have a lot of notes of how this movie reminds me of a video game. Oh, man. Which also, I was thinking, I was like, how is it not made into a video game? Like, that would have been bad fun. <laughs> I... That would have been a fun game. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and you definitely stop me if I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I really wish that this... I feel like this movie could really be a great TV show. Like, I'm just thinking, like, in terms of, like, Avatar. Like, there's always an Avatar. There's always a monk who's protecting a scroll. Like, yeah. 
and you're following the different storylines and the different tasks that they have to Yeah, face. I mean, and like, you know, this is pie in the sky, but if it actually like got really popular and stayed on the air for a long time, it could be like a Doctor Who thing where they like mm. recast a monk. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you can get a monk from different like areas of the world. Like, yeah. oh, it would be so great. That would be pretty cool. But anyway, getting ahead of ourselves yeah. here. So, like I, mean, I said... <laughs> 38 million uh, box office. I don't know if we're getting any TV shows anytime soon. Uh, I mean, Netflix, come on, do it. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, fun fact. So, this German Nazi guy, right? <laughs> I love you keep saying German Nazi. Like, how many other... <laughs> My bad. <laughs> we're going to mix it up with the Jamaican Nazis. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> this Nazi, right? Uh, he's all over this film. He's the villain. Apparently... Uh, the German theatrical version was cut uh-huh. for violence. Really? So I was like, for violence or... <laughs> yeah, or besmirching the Nazi name. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I thought that was uh, very funny. Wow, because, I mean, there's a lot of like, hitting, but it's like a bloodless movie. Like, it's not that violent. Like, yeah. There's a little bit of, like, aftermath blood, but nobody, like, is truly getting, like, split open. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's aftermath blood. Yeah, it's like James Bond violence. Like tons of people get shot, but everyone just falls down. <laughs> um, but anyway, in America, that's where we meet Sean's character, Carr, who is, quote, the most undisciplined youth I've ever seen, <laughs> which is apparently what Chow's master said to him the first time he laid eyes on him. Yeah, because apparently they just want to. They need someone to be a pain in the ass before they can, right. you know, do a good job. I don't know. I love, like, it's so dumb and easy, like, the same story over and over again, the same prophecies, but I love it. Uh. I don't know why. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> but anyway, Carr, you know, has no family. Uh, he's, he uh, studies Kung Fu, like I said, in a movie theater where he also lives, um, and that movie theater is owned by Mr. Kojiba, who is my favorite person. He's pretty awesome. Uh, cool. So I feel like that's as much as we can, uh, get in terms of talking without spoilers. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we have so much to talk about. Yeah. Like, will Carl learn the skills of enlightenment to fulfill the prophecies? Are you setting up before commercial? Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I wrote this down. I didn't work. All right, y'all let you finish. Uh, or will Monk have to protect the scroll for another 60 years? Will Sean get the girl? In this case, Jade, who's first introduced to us as bad girl, which is hilarious. <laughs> Wait, who says? Wait, how was she introduced to us as bad girl? Remember, she goes to Mr. Kojiba's looking for Car because Car took her necklace. Yeah, and she leaves her number, uh-huh. and she and she labels it bad uh. girl. And Mr. Kojiba's like bad girl. I might have been looking at my notes. I don't think I saw. <laughs> so like when, uh, you know, Car ends up at her place, and he's like, hey bad girl <laughs> i was expecting you to laugh i didn't catch that oh god anyway. i missed some certain ridiculous lines that i've written in here that we'll get into oh man um uh, they're hilarious but uh, hilarious. yeah she turns out to be a russian mafia princess yeah um but most importantly will mr funktastic finally be satisfy his urges for english pastries the true reason why he's uptight the entire time he's on screen <laughs> 
Tune in next week to I love what I, I love what I love to find out. <laughs> it's a transition to our spoiler section. Um, I got a couple of other uh, like overall things though that I want to say. Sure. Um, just uh, in terms of like, I mean, I've, I think I've made it no mystery with my tone that I I still think it's a pretty silly movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you get it more into that, but there were things I did like about it, and overall, it was fun, which was like. Nice. Very pretty important when you're watching a movie. Cool. Um, so I love wire fighting or wire foo as they call it. Wire foo. Yeah. Like when they're on a wire. Like the kind of the effects you saw, like when they would fight and kind of be floating like that, like the floaty effects. Oh. Those are just the actors or stunt people being pulled by wires and then digitally taking them away. It, is that a term you made up, or is that like a known term for that kind of fighting? I mean. I've, I didn't make up wire foo. It's not like official, but it's, I don't know. I saw it on the internet somewhere. That's cool. Um, but, you know, it was like the Matrix brought that to America big time because that was like Wire City. Everybody was using wires in that movie. Yeah. Um, and then right after that was Crouching Tiger, which is known for them fighting on top of treetops and all that. Like, And that was them like being pulled by wires. Mm-hmm. And it looks beautiful. It's completely unrealistic, but that's not what you're going for with the wire foo. Well, you got this cool floaty vibe. Yeah. that I just like we've kind of gotten away with it now where now we can kind of like with CGI just kind of make falling and everything seem more realistic so that's what we get in a lot of movies before you can really make that look good with computers the best way to get someone to go 50 feet in the air was literally pull them like a like a you know like a doll mm-hmm. and so I just love that even when the movie was being a little bit hokey like I always knew right around the corner there was going to be some really cool wire effects and I was going to see somebody, like, hanging upside down from their feet or f- jumping 30 feet in the air. So I just, I missed those days of special effects because I feel like right around that, 2003, a little bit after was right when that went right out the window and stopped being cool. Or, like, a, if you saw Charlie's Angels 1 or 2, everything they do was wire foo. Like, every every uh-huh. time the girls get into a fight, Drew Barrymore's flipping in the air. Cameron Diaz is doing her bicycle kick. You ever see her do the bicycle kick in that movie? No, oh, I haven't seen those movies. Oh, it's so funny. She's like 20 feet away from the bad guy and she just launches in the air and her feet are kicking and she's yelling like, ah, but it's in slow motion so you just see it for like 10 seconds straight. Um, so yeah, I did appreciate that just the wire foo and all that. And um, you were worried about the special effects. I was, and I have to give it to you that because they relied on such a practical means, I don't think it's it looked that dated. Hmm. Um, they rarely use CGI, and when they did, it's like it was when they had to, which is not bad in my opinion. Hmm. I just don't like it when it's used for everything when it doesn't need to be. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. All right, should we go into spoilers so we can just fully talk about this thing? Yeah. Alright. Let's do it. Let's hit up spoilers. The funny thing to me is that, you know, the only reason why Nazi guy is able to track down Chow's character is because of all the good deeds he's done. Which I didn't really catch the first hundred times that I watched this movie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it took me actually paying attention and reading the newspaper in the shot. Cause yeah, because he sees the all the newspaper clippings about like an unnamed Asian man rescuing so-and-so, yeah. saves kid from fire, blah, blah, blah. I want to talk first, though, about the gang of pickpocketers huh. that Jade is seemingly a part of after, you know, Sean William Scott meets these people. 
I don't know what's going on over here. <laughs> my favorite scene, actually. I mean, my favorite, like, sequence uh-huh. of that this movie is that underground scene. Nice. It's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, how, how does he first meet them again? I actually don't remember. Yeah, so Mr. Fantastic's crew has been tracking down Carr for a while because he's such a good pickpocket that right. they've been, Can like, warning him. Yeah. This guy's name is Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> Somebody wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> you were like... So he had a line where he's he's fighting Sean William Scott and then the character of Jade wants to save him. So she like whispers in his ear because they're like an item. You yeah. know, they're like, let's get out of here. Go somewhere private. And then he announces, you're lucky because she needs some of my funktastic loving. <laughs> and I laughed the first time because I heard fantastic loving. <laughs> Which already is a weird thing for a tough gangster to be saying in front of, you know, like, it's off, I'm off to give me fantastic loving. And if you think that's an offensive uh, accent I'm doing there, watch the fucking movie. Because this <laughs> guy is never been to England type accent. Like, everything is cockneyed and over the top. It's hilarious. With every stereotype word you could ever think an English person might have said in a movie once before. But anyway, then you've... <laughs> reminded me or let me know later that his name was Funktastic it's literally tattooed on his chest and he's shirtless uh, the entire time I wasn't looking at the chest um, <laughs> you're like that's not uh, me <laughs> so what, yeah when I say this movie reminded me of a video game specifically the beat em ups from the 90s mm. like the ones where you're like a guy and you're walking from screen to screen and there's six bad guys and they all kind of after like the second level they're all kind of re- repeats and you're just fighting them all up, and they all have weird-ass names. It'll be like Sid, you know, Sid the Killer in the corner, and then his health bar goes down. So I see this guy's crew, and everyone's dressed out of a comic book. Which, again, you told me this was a comic book, so yeah. beautiful. But Jesus, like, everyone just, like, I'm like, they all had costumes on. They weren't wearing outfits. They were wearing costumes. True. And I was just like, man, these guys wake up every morning, and, like, this guy, like, bleaches his hair, and then puts it in a mohawk, and then puts on a denim shirtless Oh, <laughs> a de- sleeveless shirt, I meant to say. And by the way, I don't want to remove half of the amazingness of Mr. Funktastic's quote that you just quoted. Yeah. But he, I believe the full quote is, You're lucky this little crumpet has come back begging for my Funktastic love. <laughs> oh, God. This little crumpet. <laughs> I've never met a British person in my life who actually said crumpet. Like, <laughs> crumpets, that's some shit we say when we're imitating them. <laughs> Would you like some crumpets for yeah. our tea party? Oh. Lucky for you, this little bit of crumpets come back begging for some of my fantastic love. Well, anyway, and then, yeah, plus they have a lair, which already, 90s video game. Why does a crew of pickpockets have a lair? Oh, a lair. A yeah. lair, yeah, like where they hang out and like, you know. It's like an underground subway. Uh, okay. Deserted. Yeah. 90s video game. <laughs> Just more about the scene. So yeah, Sean William Scott ends up going there. He turns down their invitation to join their crew right and then that's when they start fighting yes yeah so yeah. They st- yeah then they start fighting and all these people who apparently what they do is pickpocket but all no martial arts right off the bat so everyone's doing full-blown martial arts 90s video game then even after he beats a couple of them he has a special pose that he likes to do where he sticks his arm out and then runs his hand over his cheek and then he does that move, hits somebody, and then does that move again. Wait, you're talking about when he does all the kendo stick work? Yeah, Sean yeah, William yeah, Scott. Yeah. And this was all hilarious. I had a great time during the scene. <laughs> we'll get to it later, but I'm just saying. Um, 
when he did the pose twice in a row, I was like, that's some video game shit. Like, that's, like, <laughs> Mortal Kombat. Like, you beat someone, and then you start doing your, your stance again until you wait the fight again. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's funny, because you saw it as, like, video game, and I saw it as, like, a dance. Like, that's so funny. Because <laughs> I could still, like, I can hear the music track, and I could see the whole scene. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to hope. But I, no, this I whole time, it. I was just like, I feel like we're just, like, the first the end of the first level of the video game, like, where you have to fight, like, the boss and all that shit. Um, so it just made me laugh. Um, this whole, yeah, this whole crew, it just, they made little to no sense to me how they operated, what their deal was, like, why it was always a group of all dudes and then this one girl and then the one guy would just talk constantly about, like, how he wants to, how, like, he gives all this fantastic love, and you find out later, he, he's never even had sex with her. Yeah. And it's just, like, this whole crew is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Funktastic is hilarious. Uh, he's a great character. I wish that he would get his own spinoff. <laughs> For the proof. No, of, actually, no. What if he's the next monk? Uh. Ooh, my note just says, Funktastic, question mark? Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> That was after I found out. Oh my god. I mean... Why do all the pickpockets know Kung Fu? Yeah. Um, The funniest thing, and I I think what everything you said just makes sense, but I can't imagine Mr. Funktastic above ground in the day. Yeah. (laughs) Like, he doesn't seem like Like going to write it. Yeah. And like, getting some toilet paper. Yeah. That would be hilarious. (laughs) Um... Uh. But I will say, I have all of these, like, my little, like, logic nitpicks that I have. When I look at my notes, they did stop after the first half of the movie. I just think to, to get everything set up, it was a little bit, it was a little bit crazy. Mm, like, a lot, of things, a lot of things had to get into motion. And then just also, like, no one really seemed to be that amazed that, like, magic existed. So after the first time Sean William Scott meets Chow Yun-Fat, Sean William Scott goes home and then turns around and Chow Yun-Fat, like, followed him to his place and broke in. It's this funny scene where he eats his Cocoa Puffs yeah. and tries to teach him about enlightenment. But when he's, like, dodging his moves and Chow Yun-Fat's, like, literally, like, balancing his whole body on his toes, that's effectively magic. And you yeah. know what I mean? And there's not once where Sean William Scott's like, how the hell? And it, it would, and then it isn't until the next scene when Chow Yun-Fat does something amazing that Sean William Scott goes like, wait a minute, how did you do that? Yeah. And in my head I was like, you didn't ask that last night when he was floating around your house <laughs> no. eating your Cocoa Puffs? That is very true. <laughs> and then also just like the bad guys too. I guess maybe they were briefed by the Nazi, but like every time some magic shit happened, they just seemed to like brush it off. Like, oh yeah, yeah. They, they know about it. <laughs> they I, were briefed. Yeah, I I think you're valid with Carr and not yeah. him, him not responding, but yeah, I, I think the German folk were all briefed. And then, yeah, and then my last just, like, how did we get here is, like, way too many questions about the German guy and his whole operation. Let's... Where where the money came from, how he's making money. Like, it was definite, like, it was almost just seemed like James Bondy where you're not supposed to question it. Like, he's just, like, a bad... Like, again, with the video game status where, like... You know, you don't just quite... You know, yeah, he, he runs this thing and he's evil. But, like, when I watch a movie, I question those things way more than I would in a video game. So I was just like, he's got a lot of people on his payroll... Laws don't seem to have to bother this guy at all. Like, he can just unleash... I'm gonna guess this this took place in Chicago, but we never actually figured it out. I actually couldn't figure that out in my research. Yeah. All I got was it's supposed to look like New York City, but it was shot in Toronto. Oh, uh, okay. Definitely wasn't New York City, 100%. No, it was supposed to look like... Yeah, yeah. Well, they're in, a, they're in a, an urban city. Yeah. 
And there's literally a sequence where Charlie and Fed and Sean and Scott are just hanging out. And then a helicopter just pulls up to the side of the building in the city and starts unloading two machine guns into the building. And I was like, nothing? No cops? Nothing on the news? Like, you know what I mean? And, like, it was, it was fun. Fun action sequence, but it, just, it asks too many questions. Like, there wasn't a scene of him being like, hey, the cops want to know, what do I say? And be like, well, you know what I'm paying them? You know, like, it could have been any kind of explanation. Right. So anytime this guy's whole operation was going on, I was just like, what is your deal? How are you paying all these people? How are you rich? <laughs> well, Like, the Nazis things. lost the war. They did, but aren't there, like, a bunch of legends, like, a lot of, like, Nazis hid wealth? Nazi gold? Yeah. Yeah. So that was one of my theories. And then the second theory is, you know, it, they, they own this human rights organization. So they're, the first time we see his grandniece or whatever, Nina. I thought it was his granddaughter. Yes, his granddaughter, yeah. sorry. Uh, she's like talking to all these donors for the human rights organization. And I'm like, are they funneling the money for the human rights organization into his operation to acquire the scroll and like pay all these people? All right, fair enough. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I guess they, that that makes a little more sense with the money. Yeah. But I almost like want to know, like, because if you're like a surviving, not like the Nazis had to go into hiding, like they were considered war criminals. Right. So Nazis were alive and like living for a long time after the war, but a yeah. lot of them changed their name, were kind of, you know, just like doing some stuff. So like, I'm curious, like, what was his story? How did he get See, there? Layers. You want to dig deeper? Is that in the comic book? I'm going to have to order this comic book. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, a lot of it was a little hokey for me in that sense. But at the end of the day, um, I enjoyed the wire foo. Um, I will say in the fights, there were a little too many camera cuts for my liking. Mm. Um, ever since I heard Jackie Chan describe how he cuts, how he likes to cut martial arts, it turned me into a little bit of a snob of like watching it mm-hmm. where his movies would always be very wide long takes and the reason he would do that was because a he was doing the stunts so you didn't need to worry about covering a stuntman's face and b he just always believed that people will believe stuff easier if they stare at it for a long time hmm. so it, what happens in a lot of american movies what they do to overcompensate for a actors not knowing their own stuff and then b just to make it seem a little bit more exciting is like, there was a scene where Sean William Scott, like, jumped over someone, grabbed them with his hands, and then ended up flipping them over his body. Yeah. And I think I counted it. It took five cuts of, like, mm-hmm. it, he ran over, grabbed the person, then the camera cut, then it was a stuntman jumping about a quarter into the air, then a cut, then someone doing a full flip, then the last cut of someone coming down, and then the final cut of Sean William Scott just going, like, letting go of his hands. Mm-hmm. And, like, it wasn't, like, obviously a million movies do this like this wasn't me saying like oh this sucks for it but just knowing how much i love fight scenes and like watching a lot of martial arts movies that come out of asia like it was just something that did stick out to me a little bit Mm. but yeah so as the movie goes on it's um it's yeah it's like a lot of collections of scenes of them learning a little bit of information about the scroll and where it is or, or what it is and then them getting attacked by the nazis they have a pretty sweet fight scene they escape or sometimes they don't and, yeah. and, it, and it moves on like that for a little while, basically towards the climax. Yeah. So, and the nice, I, I feel like the nice way to group it up, like, right off the bat, we learned that there are three prophecies, right? Like, he, the first one being, he'll defeat an army of enemies while a flock of cranes circles above. And that's the scene that we were talking about with Mr. Funktastic, like... There are these cranes underground for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, ab- above when he's like, you know, 
battling but i thought it was like pretty like it was decently clever of like obviously by cranes they meant the birds yeah because it was an ancient proverb and then you know it was kind of translated to this urban environment where it was construction cranes which i mean gives a lot of credit to the monk because (laughs) like for him to nobody trained him to think that way he's like looking for cranes everywhere (laughs) like a flock of cranes yeah yeah he's just like Um, so the second one being, he will battle for love in the palace of Jade. So what were your thoughts on Jade's character? Um, at first I didn't really know what they were doing with her. And I will be honest, it did kind of seem like what happened a lot in action movies back then, where it would be like the obligatory, like love interest role that they would put into a movie just because it was something else to do mm. so from my memory i thought I, I was just like i feel like she's just there just to fall in love with sean william scott and like move on but um to flash forward to the end the part that i liked about like plot wise what i liked about the movie the most that actually surprised me mm. was um just to fast forward i guess i mean we're no it's so fine we're yeah. we're when at the end it's pretty obvious that sean william scott was the one in training to become the next monk that's why we've seen all those proverb scenes of Chow Yun Fat being like what you were saying, battle into the mm-hmm. palace, of, palace, palace of Jade and everything. But you find out in a somewhat of a semi twist that as they flash back to all those scenes, that nothing that he accomplished that followed those proverbs he did alone, it was always alongside with the character Jade. Mm-hmm. And then so they both kind of become dual protectors of the scroll and they kind of both become the monk. Which I thought was cool and surprising. So I didn't see that coming at all. And I thought that was like a nice little twist. And I thought like the whole plot was pretty straightforward. And then I thought that was like a nice little something I didn't see coming. Yeah. Where everything else like, you know, you could kind of pretty much see most of it coming. Like, yeah. you know, he's going to save the day and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I thought that was really cool. So I thought it was a nice use of, of the character of Jade. And it did make sense too because I did question myself too where it was like he defeats an army of enemies and I was like he kind of fights like one of them <laughs> and then Jade kind of bails him out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it makes you be like uh, she kind of deserves credit here. And, and then, then you're like Especially oh. the last one when it's like you'll save your brothers from Yeah, you'll free the brothers you never knew with the family you never had. Yeah, and then it just cuts to her freeing a bunch of people when Sean William Scott's not even in the room. So yeah. like, so I did, I did like that they kind of made it like a duel thing and like yeah plot wise that was like my favorite aspect of it yeah um so yeah i like the character of jade yeah i love that she was like she didn't really need sean's character at all (laughs) like (laughs) she has money she has a palace like she's fine (laughs) yeah that is true um so i really like that again like nobody really has to sacrifice anything here and i know that's usually what makes a movie great (laughs) but i it makes me emotionally comfort yeah (laughs) (laughs) Like, she's not risking her anything by helping Carr and, yeah. you know, she'll be fine if they win or lose. <laughs> that, that makes you feel happy that <laughs> there's not a lot on the line. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. So, um, yeah, I thought that was great, too, that she gets to yeah. credit. I almost, I almost think it might have been a little bit cooler if, reveal-wise, if maybe every time one of those proverbs was happening... If Chow Yun Fat like maybe like silently contemplated it, and we didn't know why he always like gave a certain look, mm-hmm. and then in the end when he brings it up and we see the flashbacks, that's the first time where he like surprised us, where he's like, 
you know, like maybe Shaul William Scott's like, I haven't even done any of these proverbs. And he'd be like, actually, you did. And he'd be like, you fought under the cranes. Oh. You fought for love. So, like, I did feel it was a little redundant of, like, how we had to say it every single time it happened. Like, he's, like, would be standing alone and he would say it out loud. Yeah. And then later they flashed back again. I thought it would have been cool if it was almost, like, held as a secret. And then he'd be like, and you did it with her. So you're both the Right. Monk. Yeah. I think that was another case of dumbing it down for the Americans. <laughs> yeah. I think they were just, they were trying to go for a real broad audience with this. I, I will say, and I don't know if you noticed this, but I always laugh at it. Um, so at the end where it's revealed that Jade is, um, also going to be a protector of the scroll, they reveal yeah. her tattoos on her stomach and stuff. Um, so, and she goes, you know, the classic line, you're not the only one that's bulletproof. Yeah. Uh, and then they cut away and then they cut back and her and Carr are making out. Uh-huh. I always find that hilarious. Cause I feel like someone was like cut and they're like, Oh crap! We didn't get them making out. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're like, wait, it's a man and a woman in a movie, and they're both good looking. They have to get together. <laughs> because it's just like the the way the camera pans, it shows obviously that time has passed. And in that previous scene, you see the police sirens. Uh-huh. So by the time they're making out, you're like, the police would be here already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I always find that scene really funny. <laughs> That's funny. Who do you think the target for this movie was? Because I did feel like I kind of mentioned earlier where there were times where it felt very much like it was like, yeah, like a movie for like geared at like 12 to 14 year olds. Like Mm -hmm. it's very lighthearted. The action is all bloodless. It's like a lot of like punching and kicking. You know, this is some gun stuff. And and also the comedy was like a little bit in that range, too, of like. You know, Sean has got tries to run up the wall, but he runs into it. You know, like, kind of stuff. Like, a lot of physical comedy and... Yeah. A lot, like, I don't want to say juvenile, but just, you know, it's not... It's it's kind of a very broad, young appeal. But then a lot of the plot elements would get real dark. Where, like, the tortury stuff was real weird. And then also that really, like, kind of creepy sexual scene with Nina when she had the monk tied up. Yeah. And, like, I couldn't tell if she, like, pulled his dick out or not, but, like, it seemed like she was about to. Yeah. And I was just like, this seems, like, oddly sexual for a movie for kids. I remember being, like, as a kid. Yeah. Because I was, like, 10. I was like, what is happening down there? <laughs> and watching it be like, oh. <laughs> but, yeah. But, yeah, I, I thought... Actually, what did you think of that scene? Because yeah, I thought that was like mad weird for her character. Because none of that came out of nowhere. I was like, Nina's a creep. She would not get along in the real world. I like, think she just like never left like that house or that weird lifestyle of like working for her Nazi grandpa, where like she's never even like been with a dude or like yeah. has any normal interaction with anybody. She, uh, yeah, she definitely has never left her grandfather's side like, yeah. this whole time. Yeah, she, she was a fucking to... weirdo. And I guess she doesn't get laid either. Like. I don't know, like, it's weird yeah. that she was preying on Because there was never even, like, a scene either earlier where she was like, that monk is quite the looker, you know? Like, there yeah. was never even, like, one scene where it seemed like she was even interested in anything sexually. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that one scene got, like, re- and it was, like, pretty, it wasn't, like, tame. It wasn't so suggestive. Like, yeah. I was like, yo, for, for 12-year-olds, this is a lot. Like, yeah. I hated Nina overall, like, yeah. with a passion. She killed uh, Mr. Kojiba, so that really just... Yeah. Ever since that scene... That's the scene I always skip <laughs> when I watch this movie. But to answer your earlier question, I think that it they possibly were trying to cater it to people who are fans of Chow, but, like, wanted to watch a movie with their family. Yeah. Maybe? 
I guess, yeah. Or maybe they were just trying to check too many, so many boxes that it ended up being yeah. a movie for no one. Because we were getting a lot of these, like Rush Hour really ushered a whole bunch of these buddy cop martial arts types of movies. Mm -hmm. So it did feel very similar in vain to like a Rush Hour, Shanghai Noon, Shanghai Nights. I don't know if you ever saw those. Mm. With uh, Owen Wilson and Jackie Chan. Oh, I, I've seen parts of that. Yeah, so it, it felt like kind of like that, but like... I don't know, those always seemed, even though they were PG-13 also, they always seemed to gear a little bit older. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Rush Hour seemed like to be more towards, like, a higher teen, like, maybe, like, a 16 to 17, as opposed to, like, an 11 or 12. Mm. You know, like, there was a lot more curse words and, like, a little bit more violent. But, like, this seemed like it was skewing a little younger, but then they were just, like, between the death and, like, just, like, certain scene and the torture, really the death torture and the sex, the sexual innu innuendo scene, I was just like, this is... Mm -hmm. I was like, I was like, I don't know who this is exactly for. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, okay. I guess America didn't either because it made thirty-eight million dollars. I, I, I think it's for you know mother or daughters who want to <laughs> find a good movie to watch. Haitian mother daughter combos. <laughs> who love enlightenment? I think that's their target demographic. And uh, how'd you how'd you put it? Enlightenment and all that crap. That's, that's <laughs> <laughs> all right. So super fast forward to the end. Uh, you know, we already talked, and essentially them both being in charge of protecting the scroll is kind of like them getting married. <laughs> like, yeah. they're kind of stuck with each other now. For at least for 60 years, yeah. <laughs> well, the good news is, I mean, even... Actually, no, I was going to say they can just fucking chill out for 60 years because they won't grow older and then move on, but then they're going to instantly grow old as soon as they lose the scrolls. Yeah, they do. So. Yeah. Unless they like, let's just do this forever. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, and then you see Chow's character just... Instantly grow old as soon as he loses the power. Yeah, and then he, you know, he gets to go on his vacation, yeah. which I also thought was a symbolic of life. Like, <laughs> what do you, you think was going through his master's head where, like, he, he was invincible for 60 years, he gave up the power, and then, like, 30 seconds later, takes up bullets to the chest. You think he was like, motherfucker, like, if we did this tomorrow... Man, I'd be chilling. Like I know. You think he was just like sixty years? I didn't get shot once. Yeah. I didn't get shot once in sixty years. I was pretty messed <laughs> the up. The second I lose it. And and he's like, I think I'll take a nice vacation. And they shoot yeah. him right there. He didn't get any older though. He did. You weren't looking. He was old the whole time. He wasn't old the whole time. The master? Yeah. Right. You weren't looking at uh, all. I don't know. I don't. I don't look at faces. You don't look at faces. <laughs> Um, but yeah, a very nice ending to a very beautiful film. Shall we move on to Best Worst? We get a little Best Worst section. Do you have any last thoughts before we move on to Best uh, Worst? I'll save it for when we wrap up. I, I got through all my notes here. Okay, cool. When we do final thoughts. Alright, let's do Best Worst. Alright, so watch us have the same Best Worst. I bet we do. <laughs> Alright, my first Best Worst is Best Worst Quote. Oh man! Because I could quote this movie. That and like you had time to do research. Like <laughs> it's not research. This is was already in my brain. All right, best worst. Same quote for both. <laughs> Lucky for you, this little bit of crumpets come back begging for some fantastic love. <laughs> best and worst. Yep, best and worst. It was the best line I ever heard in my life. It was the worst thing I ever heard in my life. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so I have like. 10 million best quotes of okay let me narrow it down to like two best it's supposed to be best <laughs> best is usually okay. one what about this you could do a runner up what about this monk <laughs> monk 
Alright, that's a pretty damn good quote. <laughs> he shot him off the side of a mountain and then seemed like pissed that he was gone. You know, like, I was like, dude, you shot him. <laughs> and worst quote? I really don't have one. <laughs> I think they're all great. Maybe, piss off you little tot. <laughs> that's he, not a great one. Literally every line Mr. Funktastic has, he's referencing a British pastry. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know who wrote the lines for Mr. Oh, Fantastic. Somebody was hungry. Yeah, oh, so good. So this is the one that I thought maybe you probably would have guessed, picked also, but because it's pretty easy to guess. But best worst fight. Ooh, I did not pick. You that. didn't pick that. No. There's like a hundred. <laughs> I honestly, I really love the underground fight scene. I think that's my favorite one. I picked that one too. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's so crazy. So, yeah. oh, was it okay? Explain why. I'm um, curious. I picked it, A, for all the fantastic set dressing that I explained before, just all the... I just feel like this is a very, a pretty silly movie, and, like, this scene, like, knows it. Mm. Like, it's not trying to be something it's not. It's, like, truly embracing the camp value of all this. Um, so I love that. Um, I actually kind of liked, uh, like, Sean William Scott's work with the pipe and the kendo stick or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um because I could tell, even though he wasn't actually fighting with it, he was just twirling it. But, like, it was him in that scene doing it. So yeah, I could tell it practice. looked good. Yeah, and it was cool because they didn't use a lot of weapons in a lot of the movie. A lot of it was hand-to-hand fighting. Yeah. So that was a nice little twist. And then, yeah, and I liked the whole, like I said earlier, where you find out that Jade is doing half of the prophecy that he's supposed to be doing. Yeah. So I liked that. It would turn into me thinking it was stupid where she saved him. So why is he the one to, oh, I get it. It actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have anything to add about the fight scene? No, I, I love the work. Same with the kendo stick. Um, I think that fighting is really cool. And even, and again, I love the music composition of the scene. I actually think I'm going to YouTube it again. <laughs> like after we, after we finish this. Nice. Worst fight scene. Yeah. Honestly, I'm, I'm always a little underwhelmed by the last one. I don't know why. Like against the, the, the Nazi? Yeah. A lot of cool things that happen, and I, I know it's supposed to be like the biggest moment of the movie, but... Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that's not a great reason at all. <laughs> I just... When I when I rewatch the movie, I'm like, yeah, that, that one's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't pick this one, but I felt that a little bit with the Nina versus uh, Jade fight. <gasps> Where it was cool, but like it literally like it just ends with like like a headbutt or like like it was just so like like it wasn't even like a big final hit like Nina just gets hit like one time and then just falls over and then it just cuts away real fast mm. and I was like that's the end like it was well she like... dies oh she dies yeah she twisted her neck oh that's how I always read it oh I thought she just knocked her out no oh yeah, I guess I got to change my beyond the credits. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I picked the scene, uh, kind of the one I brought up earlier, where the helicopter does attack the mm. the thing. Because uh, it was just a lot of running from bullets. And in a movie like this, I kind of enjoyed the martial arts more so than I enjoyed like the gun play and, and the, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then also, it was seemingly the only... Like, every other scene, they go out of their way to show Chow Yun-Fat not killing anyone. Mm. And he just throws people out of that helicopter. Like, one guy falls straight down through a plate of glass but there might be a pool in there it doesn't matter (laughs) that's like hitting the floor and the floor turning into a thousand knives (laughs) like it's it's way worse than just falling through the floor that's true um so yeah it just seemed like he had no regard for human life and then even though the helicopter pilot does get away safely he does fire like six shots into like the engine or whatever it's a dashboard like trying to take it down so like it just seemed like it was just like that doesn't seem like the monk (laughs) 
<laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It just was a little bit hokey. Like, I liked it better when they had hand-to-hand fighting or, like, car chases as opposed to a helicopter coming out of nowhere in the big city and shooting up the side of a building. That's fair. Yeah. Cool. All right, what's your next best worst? Oh, sorry, this is a very selfish best... Next best worst. Best worst death. <laughs> best death. <laughs> you are grim. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're going to have the same ones. Best death was uh Nazi. Oh. <laughs> Nazi going down. Yeah. <laughs> is that not your best no. oh man you love nazis no i don't oh that's the end of this podcast who's your best dad nina oh i mean she's technically kind of a nazi uh, yeah, yeah i can't give it to nina because i like hey i thought she survived so i had this whole backstory ready to go or like continuation ready well, to go we for don't her. know that for sure yeah. that's just how i interpret it oh uh, but i don't know i kind of like felt bad for her because based on her crazy activities and then the way her, that one line when her grandfather was like, yo, you're my granddaughter, but that only gets you so far. Like, I'll fucking kill you. Yeah. And I was like, that's when I kind of was like, oh, her life is fucking shit. Like, she devotes every single bit of her being to her grandfather's weird mission. Yeah. And this dude will kill her in a second. And she doesn't seem to have any pair. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I feel like there's a little bit of room for redemption there. I think I might just be acting on vengeance because she, she killed yeah. Kojima, Mr. And what, Kojima. Yeah, he's the worst death. And he's the worst death. <laughs> For sure. So it was just Kojima, Nina. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, best worst? All right. My last one is uh, best worst special effect. Ooh. Yeah. I like that. Right. Technically, it's probably not the best, uh-huh. but I absolutely love when this, the, the, the responsibility of the scroll is being passed to the next person, uh-huh. in this case to Carr, how the tattoo, like floats out from chow's body onto sean's yeah it's just so beautiful to me yeah yeah that was cool i already gave my whole shout out to the wire work and there wasn't one specific piece to it that like i loved more than anything else so i, I wrote all the wire work but i can't really have one thing mm-hmm. but i will say i thought the digital de-aging of the nazi Mm. live in front of the mirror was actually remarkably good for the time Mm. we've seen that before and like we've seen it done really well but i was just really expecting it to look clunky for that time and budget like you know what i mean like i was just like i remember watching it be like oh here we go and then it it was like really smooth and like believable you know what i mean like yeah yeah it was very seamless so i thought that was awesome and then also i just even though it wasn't like a physical in-camera special effect i just thought the makeup on chalian fed at the end was actually really good mm. like his old age makeup like i believed it he didn't look like weird and prosthetic-y yeah yeah oh they did a great job on makeup but yeah that's a really good one yeah and then do you have a worst it's not really a special effect but that last fight scene where car gets the courage or whatever to beat the nazi uh-huh. when he releases himself from the chokehold and he's like hanging on the bars yeah i always found that to be very strange like it didn't feel like a good moment to me uh-huh. so i would say that's my worst special effect all right um and I'm... it's also very clearly a stunt double <laughs> yeah oh yeah big time <laughs> it might have been done more than once but i can only really think of one um but it was around that scene actually where he ends up taking the guns from the two guys but basically, any time that they slowed down the CGI bullets, and you would see Chow Yun Fat like in slow motion, like move out of the way. Yeah. Um, just because by two thousand three, like we've already had three Matrix movies at this point. Like, oh dang! And, and it was right after the third Matrix movie, and like 
that they called it bullet time like that was it was just everywhere and like it didn't look remarkably good in this one they didn't do anything that cool with it other than him moving out of the way mm. uh like even bad boys 2 was doing it that was the same year like everybody mm. was doing the slowdown and the bullet stuff and uh i just didn't they didn't do anything special with it and also in terms of me thinking the special effects were going to look dated that that was one scene where it definitely did where i was just like hmm. this is all a computer effect but we're in 2003 and like we're not in the highest budget of filmmaking here we're in a high budget but not the highest so like i was just like eh, those scenes don't need to be there um <laughs> that's fair yeah like i liked it better when it was more stuff where like you think jade got shot but really she caught the bullet but it happened so fast you didn't even see it yeah like i thought that was cooler than like just like <laughs> i really just i mean once matrix did it it was just like it was so easy to copy it yeah yeah do your own thing man so that was my worst uh special effect shall we move on to beyond the credits beyond the credits <laughs> so this was a movie that we were never graced with a sequel for so we get to tragedy, discuss tragedy. what we think happens beyond the credits. <laughs> what kind of life do these people live? And would that life warrant a sequel? I would like you to go first. You would like me to go first? Yeah, I'm interested for you. So yeah. I thought Nina survived. Mm-hmm. But I actually thought, obviously, it's a movie where it wouldn't be that hard to make a sequel for. It's an action movie. It ends with a new group of people getting powers. Like On paper, it makes sense to do a movie. But from the way the plot unfolded, I almost saw it where, not that Nina, I'm sorry, um, Jade and Carr wouldn't have anyone attack them for the scroll for the next 60 years. But I think the story of that group and that Nazi organization would have been done. Because I thought Nina would have actually changed now that her grandfather was dead. And she, you know, probably inherited the thing. Since they didn't give me any information, I'm going to be vague on it. Mm Mm-hmm whatever he's dead so now she's in charge and then i think she would just be like realize that she spent her whole life chasing like someone else's feud and someone else's like greed and like that it brought her like nothing you know what i mean Mm. and so like i think she would have like just either been like i don't give a shit about that or like spent her time trying to make the organization legitimate stuff like that so i actually saw like you know obviously maybe there's somewhere else and someone else wants to scroll and attacks them but like i didn't see it as like immediate like uh oh now nina's gonna start chasing them and it's all gonna start all over again like i almost saw it as they had like a time of peace ahead of them mm. so that's what i was kind of thinking i like that it was really just ba- all based on the scene of when the grandfather told her he would kill her mm. if she kept messing up and i was just like oh i think that would like weigh on her and then when he was dead finally she'd be like oh what have i been doing my <laughs> whole life so i think that moving forward the scroll um is moving forward always protected by two people okay which I think would lead to a great sequel for this movie. Because how great would it be to have two best friends or like two people who don't even know each other, like they just both fulfill the prophecies and they both have different halves. I think a great sequel to this movie would be one of the people who fulfill the prophecies actually turns bad. So the person who's actually protecting the scroll is protecting it from the person who has the other half of the scroll. Uh, Wouldn't that be so cool? That's a pretty cool sequel. (laughs) Yeah, all right. That's pretty awesome. So, like, I just I just feel like this this story has legs. Yeah. And, again, like, from the Avatar standpoint, like, just going through the different generations and the different problems that the protectors of the scroll have to face, I think would be so cool and would make a great TV show. Oh, that's awesome. It, with the scroll, too, like, it's not a bad 
thing. It's just it's so much power that put in the wrong hands, it becomes a bad thing. Yeah. Um, the Nazi wanted to create the world in his image and kill everybody else, but like, you know, if this half of the the if this guy who's protecting the scroll wants the power but for good, but like, is it worth it? Like, is it worth making the world all good? And if everything's all good, what's worth like well we know what good is yeah exactly. you know like there's like so many questions to be answered there or like explored i think it, i love this movie <laughs> <laughs> and like i love its potential oh, oh. it's got potential like car <laughs> cool so that's my beyond the credits nice so andy yes. i have a question for you oh yeah what do you got I, you know, I just want to know, do you love what I love? I love it. So, <laughs> I will explain what the short answer is. I do not love oh. what you love. I enjoyed what you love. I thought what you love was better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> I had a lot of fun with it. Um, I actually do think Sean William Scott and Charlie and Fat had some pretty good chemistry. Um, it wasn't just like some like random casting. Like it actually, they actually worked pretty well together. Um, I liked the little twist at the end. Um, I liked the wire foo. Um, all in all, though, it was just a little too campy for me in terms of. You love campy. I know, but it also wanted to be taken very seriously, and I don't like when it tries to do both. Mm. So if it was camp all the way through, I would have been down. But then the way some of those like death scenes happen and the torture scenes, and I don't know. I know you kind of like a lot of the philosophy stuff, but it all seemed a little bit like fortune cookie type, like very easy to understand kind of like metaphors about enlightenment or it's just like yeah like can't know your enemy till you know yourself like it's just kind of things that like seem a lot like a white person was writing for an asian person mm. if that makes sense like just kind of being like yeah they talk in wisdom so it'd be like never teach a man the fish for that you know it's just always like a lot of proverbs that then do that mm. so that mixed with the kind of lack of backstory on the scroll and what it is and is it religious what religion is it like when was it made who are these monks? How come none of them ever thought about taking the power? Like, how, how do they know to be such selfless people? How do they know who they pick are going to be selfless? Mm. Um, so I definitely had a good time. And my memory of this movie before last night was that it was a pretty bad movie. <laughs> like, I was like, it's fucking really stupid. Like, da, da, da. And there was more so to enjoy than not to enjoy. I was never bored. It moved fast. Like, the, the pace was pretty good. Um, and like I said, I thought the second half was actually a lot better than the first half in terms of a movie. Um, but uh, in the first half, I, like, I liked the bridge fight in the beginning. I liked the pipe fight. Like, fight scene-wise, it was pretty consistent all the way through. But as, like, a movie with, like, a plot and, like, stakes that I actually was, like, worried about. Yeah, I thought as it went on, it, it was more believable. Okay. You know what? I'll take, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gotta take it. I don't, not offering anything else. But I'm glad you at least liked yeah. what I love. I like martial arts movies, and this was fun. Cool. That makes me happy. Yeah. Uh, until next time, you will love what I love eventually. <laughs> but anyway, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Yeah. If you enjoyed our podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. 
Also, if you have time, take a moment and rate and review. Every bit of feedback helps. I'm Masha. And I'm Andy. And I hope you love what I love.